Hey, that's not the right song, Jason. This is hot. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, hey we're, I'm excited. We are here today with some guests that are part of this year's ASES Sandbox 4.0. So as we get going, I feel like we need to go ahead and turn the amp to 11, Jason, right now. As we do our intro music right now, the whole band says... That, that band got loud. I, I think mean, they stayed at 10. Turn it back down, Jason. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome everybody to Sandbox Chat. This is truly like a sandbox chat this time. So we are sitting here with actual sandboxers in person uh, for the first time on the podcast. So we are excited. So I am Jason Kern, Assistant Head of School for Innovation and Learning at All Saints Episcopal School in Tyler, Texas. And I'm Mike Cobb. I'm the Head of School. And I'm going to let our sandboxers kind of introduce themselves and talk a little bit about um, where they come from and and kind of what they are passionate about. So let's, let's just start first with the introductions though. So I'll just kind of look to my left if you're um, listening. Um, that's, that's right over here, a guy from Colorado. Introduce yourself, Tom. Hi, I'm Tom Thorpe. Um, I'm the director of the Ready Lab, which stands for Research, Entrepreneurship, Design, and Inquiry at Colorado Academy in Denver, Colorado. Hi everyone, I'm Kelsey Broman. I am one of the co-founders of Mission and Data, and I am here on campus for the couple days working with students at All Saints as well as faculty. I'm Mark Carlton. I'm the head of school at Presbyterian School, the heart of the museum district in Houston, Texas, pre-K to eight school, about 640 students. I'm Kyle Edgman. I'm the assistant head for faculty and student experience here at All Saints. And I'm Nathan Battle. I'm associate head of school at Forsyth Country Day School in Louisville, North Carolina, just outside of Winston-Salem. I'm also our admission director, and I teach a course in entrepreneurship. Awesome. Well, uh, we have been spending a lot of time today talking in our sandbox about things we're passionate about. We've been uh, probing some really good questions about things that we're still curious about. But our first question always is to our guests, what's the thing you're most passionate about? It doesn't mean that you're ranking in life what it is, but right now, what's the thing that's got you excited, that kind of gets you going, that's really fueling your tank right now? So um, uh, we'll just kind of let, we'll do popcorn style. So if you, you want to jump out there, but we'll give everybody a chance. So what are y'all passionate about? Who wants to share first? I'll jump in. All right, this is Nathan. Uh, yes, this is Nathan. And I'm, uh, you know, we have a new initiative at the Country Day right now where we're focusing on knowing yourself, connecting with others, building community. And leaning into that first phrase right there, knowing yourself, uh, it's really exciting to me right now because if you look at the landscape, we all know it's gone on for the last two years. And we know that, you know, the, the mental health is very important thing that not just K through 12 schools focus on, but it's a, it's a, certainly a crisis on college campuses. So how can we make sure that everyone's grounded and, and knowing themselves? And that's really the, the first point. So, you know, we're a K through 12 or pre-K pre through 12 school, and it's fun to see how that plays out throughout the school. Um, I, you know, you say, what's your, what are you passionate about? Well, we ask our students the same thing. For our first graders actually do a passion project. 
And it might not be the thing they're passionate about when they're in second or third grade, but at that moment in time, they're telling us about the, the things in their life that they, they love the most. And it's, it's fun to see that they think about that and they reflect on their own share. That's really cool. Dinosaurs. Of course. Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yes. All sure. dinosaurs, all the time. <laughs> yes, yes. What else? So this is Tom um, from Ready Lab in Colorado. Um, and I think it's, it's the pack, I'm gonna blend the personal and the, and the professional here because I think that's part of where, you know, what I am passionate about is um, just this idea that I think educators and students are asked to show up as just part of themselves or the part of themselves that fits in school. And so um, I, I have been sort of obsessed with breaking cycles, breaking, generational cycles or just questioning the heck out of why we do what we do and um, really thinking deeply about that. I think the two tools that I've been using to, I think to do that both personally and professionally, um, all stem, you know, or all lead back to feedback. Um, and really thinking about the idea of feedback and um, how I give it and how um, I receive it, modeling that. Um, I always think about really the root of assessment is um, the French word to sit next to. Can you say it for us? Which one? Uh, Assessoir or something like that. Oh, Assessoir. Uh, Assessoir, like yeah. to sit? Yes. to sit, right? Assessoir, Assessoir, I'm so glad for the French speakers in the <laughs> yes. house. Um, but like you sit next to people. We don't sit next to students anymore. We don't actually sit out and listen to them and give them feedback. And we don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for our partners, our spouses, our family. And um, So anyways, those are the things that I'm just really, really so deeply, I don't know, thinking a lot about and passionate about now, so I'm grateful for the 24 hours um, here in the sandbox to do that work. So I'm, I'm fascinated about one of the things that you said there, because I think we talk a lot about giving feedback and trying to encourage people to give feedback. And I think that while we may not always do it, I totally agree that we don't always do it, but we're at least conscious of it. And yet the, the part that you said that I wish that we could really embrace with our students is accepting feedback and going through that process of what does it mean to accept feedback Properly, and because and if you learn to accept it, then you can learn to give better feedback. In my opinion, if, if you thought kind of on that piece, obviously you did because you brought it up. But it's such a piece that I think that even when we talk about feedback, we miss. Um, I so lately I've been using two different things. I'm going to give credit to um, Danny O'Brien from HMI, who sort of introduced th how these two things could be blended, but. Um, one is the Johari window. Um, I love that. And, um, I mean, what I'm really interested in is there, if there's a company out there, Mission Data, that can turn <laughs> the Johari window into a dashboard. Um, and um, But the Johari window, and because I think schools, to your point, Mike, that you're bringing up with the book Quiet, are so extroverted-oriented. And, like, moving everything into the open arena is, is, like, that's the sign of success so often for schools. And that's really a wrong metric to measure, I think, success. And so thinking about about the Johari window is one way, because then we can really model what are the things that are known to me, how do we show up. Um, a, a protocol that I use a lot with teachers is the Paseo protocol, where they really think about their their roots and their and, and their history and how that helps them show up um, in in the classroom. And then another thing is is the uh, narrative four protocol. I don't know if anyone here is familiar with mm -hmm. that. Um, check out the work of the author Colin McCann, 
But narrative four, just to oversimplify it, is a protocol where we get into small groups. Mike and I would be paired up. Um, we'd have a question in common. Uh, maybe passion would be a good example. We talk about that. We come back to, to the group, and I introduce, you know, so I say, um, I used to live on a farm. Um, I own 27 cars. My favorite car is the one that I built with my daughter. My name is Mike Hopp. And so it's sort of like, so I, I really take on so many of the things. And, I, and so what it comes down to is listening, the feedback um, and listening. So I throw out there Jahari Window um, and the Narrative 4 protocol are two really great tools that I think break down that, the, the wall that so often um, is built between teacher and student. I think there's also, and, and I, I should say this, like Tom has the best NPR voice. <laughs> Podcast voice are soothing, right? Yeah. Yes. I think it helps too in that conversation to distinguish between feedback and guidance. And and even to have I mean, you know, words matter, language matters. Um, and so I think feedback can be very binary, right? It's like you you either did this well or you didn't do this well. And so giving giving teachers or even students permission to say, okay, this is going to be kind of a feedback exercise versus this is going to be a, a guidance exercise. This, here are some suggestions about how that might be better. Um, that's, that's helped. That certainly has helped me when I was a teacher, but also just in the context of teacher growth as well or employees. Like, hey, let's, let's, dig, in, let's dig into this in the context of guidance rather than just yeah. you know, sort of simple feedback. Yeah, this is Kelsey. So building off of what you said, you know, when we work with teachers or administrators, we always are really conscious of the difference between a coach, a mentor, or a consultant. And each one of those has really different roles. And I'm going to credit Vince Watchhorn for really, you know, laying out the difference between those. And a lot of times we confuse when we're in that in that moment of working with a teacher or working with an administrator. Do they actually need a consultant to tell them what to do? Do they need a coach to help them figure out the answer for themselves? Or do they need a mentor to walk the path beside them and really learn at the same time? Um, so it's an interesting question. All right, I'll, I'll say what I'm passionate about, and I was going to go off of Tom as well. When you were talking about, you know, s'asseoir, to sit with somebody, to really, to assess. You just wanted to say the French word. Of course I did. Of course I did. I'm so glad you could say it. <laughs> I cannot. Uh, so what I'm really passionate and really obsessed with right now is how to measure the unmeasurables and to really break down, you know, we do such a good job in schools of measuring academics with grades, AP scores and everything like that. And, you know, Nathan was talking about student health and wellness. So how do we, in this moment where we need to be focusing on whether students are well or unwell, how can we measure those things? Or at All Saints, you do um, so much student agency. How can we measure whether students are actually being, what, is it agentful? I don't even know what that adjective is. Um, but I told you I was getting passionate, obsessed with it. And I think my husband is probably really annoyed because now I've turned it to my relationship. And I'm saying, okay, if we have core values in our relationship, how are we measuring that? You know, one of ours is adventure. So I'm like, all right, how are we measuring whether our relationship is full of adventure or not? And he's like, oh, man, we're doing, we're doing this again. We're doing the Y chart again. What does it look like, sound like, and feel like for us to be or not be adventurer, adventurous? So really like that idea of measuring the unmeasurable and really helping us set um, benchmarks of where we want to be if we're living up to our values is like all over my life right now. 
So I'm, I'm just picturing the big whiteboard that was in Mike's house when Kaylee was going through <laughs> her college search and all of the metrics that lived on the 24 places that you visited and all that stuff in Kelsey's house and her poor husband sitting there going, okay, <laughs> yes, I feel like I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to pull up the dashboard real quick. <laughs> 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 I can family dashboard. That's our next project. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I do want to say that just uh, you, you are passionate about it. And I love to, you know, I love to hear people talk about their passion. So I love to see them live it out even more, though. And you've been such a huge part of our team. We wanted to do some things in this area. And we wanted to track better how we were looking at the unmeasurables or immeasurables. And, and you have, your passion has made us passionate about it. Got people fired up again, though. So, thank you very much for that. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think it's. So this is Mark. Um, it's interesting the common thread I think that's woven through the passions. It, it does feel like, um, and we've talked about this today, sort of a whole child thread, right? You know, Nathan talked about you know community and you know centered being being centered and. So what I'm really interested in right now is spirituality, and uh, Lisa Miller, who is at uh, Columbia University, she's a cognitive psychologist, she wrote The Spiritual Child, um, she's also written a new book called The Awakened Brain, so she has functional MRI imagery of the brain on spirituality, so the way she defines it is personal devotion, and so at a, at a school like All Saints, where it's one of the four pillars, right, the, the idea of, of faith, for sure, but, but spirituality, this idea, and this gets back to, I think, what we're all talking about, it's like, you know, kids... Kids need to understand, but adults need to understand too. We are we're not alone in the world, right? Especially in this time, uh, but we do. We think we're at the center of the universe, and and so I'm I'm fascinated by this research, where and this is her whole life's work, Lisa Miller's whole life life work, knowing as a as a therapist who's involved with depression and anxiety and substance abuse, and seeing people who have this personal devotion be able to be able to plow through that and 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 then and then people who don't right uh how, how do we so as a, as a school that has a, a faith component to it it seems sort of intuitive or, or just natural for us to be able to weave that in in place like all saints as well but what about other schools how do you how do you create a lexicon around spirituality that is not off-putting for schools that are not faith-based to understand that that really is the fourth leg of the stool in, in child development. So I'm very, very interested in that. Of course, I have an 18-year-old back, you know, the family life connection. Yeah. I have an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I don't know how well I've been living into that the last two years, but it's yeah. vital. That's awesome. We were talking about this around the... Um around the after hours bar last night yes. uh, and I recommended I you make that uh, segue <laughs> from spirituality there was a book that I recommended and it was called it's, I just looked it up so it's power of ritual turning everyday um, turning everyday activities into soulful practices it's Casper Turkile <coughs> who I got turned on um, to Casper Turkile because he was the co-host of a podcast which is fantastic it's Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, where they go and read Harry Potter as a sacred text and apply all sorts of different um, religious reading practices to Harry Potter. It's awesome. Um, and so the really the thesis of the book is, yeah, we are losing so many of these 
um, moments of awe in our lives. And so uh, humans are trying to find them in different ways. And so we can create these religious experiences, these experiences of awe in the way that we relate to ourselves, the way we relate to each other, to nature, our place in the world. And he gives really interesting examples of how you as someone, you know, who's in a classroom or someone who's, you know, in a family can create these little ritual moments to bring everybody into in, into communion with something greater than themselves. So, like, mm-hmm. I highly recommend that book. It was great. Yeah, I and thought, the podcast. I thought of a, a read that was really important to me, and we shared it with our leadership team and our faculty here. It's uh, Art of Community by Charles Vogel. And uh, he, he has a really unique uh, perspective uh, coming from being a, a seminary student. Um, but he writes about how community is built and how ritual is important to all of us and how we build that in meaningful ways. Um, this weekend, also, we have uh, Father Dave Madison, uh, the executive uh, director of the uh, National Association of Episcopal Schools, join our board. And he said something this weekend that I'm still, it's like it's just kicking around my brain, that he said that we need to really honor the spirituality of children, that the innate spirituality of children, that we, we forget that just when you watch a child, there's something truly spiritual about how they approach each other and approach life. And it's really made me think a lot um, over the last few days about that, that I don't think we do that sometimes. Like we, we think we think we're going to teach kids how to be spiritual, but yet they are innately spiritual, and we need to really give into that. So I, mean, I don't know. I don't have anything more than this. Really, he got me thinking. So. Okay. It's like so many things that we talk about with, you know, everything I learned is I learned in kindergarten, right? It's this idea that that how do we take our earliest learners and not goof them up. Yeah. You know, there's so many times throughout here where we t- we've already talked about, oh, it's harder for a kid to brainstorm as they get older because they are got trepidation about letting my ideas out there because they may sound silly. Or are you an artist? Everybody in kindergarten raised their hand, but when you ask a 12th grader, only one kid, because we've identified what an artist is. And, and so much of this continues to circle back to me to... Can we stop schooling imagination? I mean, we can go through all of the things out of our children and and continue to build ways where we can empower them to embrace spirituality, the imagination, that wonder throughout our experience. Um, And I think that that's just such an important feature that I wish, I think, feel like if we cracked that code, Everything else would fall in, but I have no idea how to crack that. Well, so what Lisa Miller says is that, you know, all individuation is spiritual individuation, right? So, you know, that, and it's, so it's, it's all wrapped up in identity. Like, yeah. like she says, you know, the, the 15-year-old that walks into the party and there's alcohol there, right? It's all of a sudden, you know, that's a, that's a me, not me conversation. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I go in there, is that going to be me or not me? And I do think that so much of these conversations around, you know, community, around passion, they're identity conversations too, right? And I think if your if your identity is me oriented or it's thing oriented, uh, that's that's going to be problematic, yeah. right? And that's why I mean, whenever I asked the question earlier, this is, this is Tom and we were talking about the role that identity plays in agency. Um, because I really think that teachers aren't allowed to bring, we're only allowed to bring a, a certain aspect of our identity. Um, it takes a lot of courage to bring more of that, so I think we began modeling and creating systems by which students can only bring part of that too, and I think it really interferes with the potential of, of agency. And isn't, isn't it, like, when I think about the best teachers and coaches that I had, 
it was they were storytellers, but mm-hmm. the piece of their story that was so compelling was the that personal piece that they were willing and able to share with me that drew that drew me closer to them, okay. right? And they paid my story too. Right? They yeah. cared and wanted to hear my story. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yep, exactly. And and for some reason, it seemed easier to share your story as a coach than a teacher in certain ways. And I always like tried to find out why. Probably if you ask kids that I just taught and didn't coach and kids that I coached, they had a different view on me. And, and it was obviously something that I did, but I didn't do it consciously. There, there had to have been something that happened through that process of competing together or whatever it is. And I'm not sure what it is that, that truly differentiated in their mind who I was. Well, I think, I think I see this with you guys here at All Saints. I think it has to do with the box that has always been the classroom. And what I see you guys trying to do here is to really, you know, blow up the walls of that box, right? So when you're on the athletic field or the court, there's there's no box, right? right. It, it, and so I, I think that's that maybe gets into it a little bit. It's like how, how do we... What, what kind of boxes are we putting around teachers or around kids, and how do we how do we blow those up? Yeah, yeah I mean, it com- kind of comes down to how restricted do you want the curriculum to be? Because, and Jason, you said something great earlier where you, you said, you know, I want I want students to leave asking great questions, not being able to give compliant answers. And you know, so but when you're coaching, I, I mean, any coach is going to tell you, yeah, every year the team's got a, a, a different identity. And you know the goals. The goals can be the same, but the path to get there, or the path, or, or what looks like success, is going to be different for each team. Well, why isn't it the same in the classroom? You're not getting the same students in the classroom every year. Your your curriculum shouldn't be as restrictive. Uh, you know, you're not teaching history or calculus. You're teaching human beings before you. So, uh, I had a great a great mentor who used to tell me that, you know. If you were going to teach somebody how to tackle in football, you you don't you don't teach the skill and then give them a multiple choice test on tackling, <laughs> right, right? Right, right? You right. make them go tackle yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, you talked about earlier, Kelsey, about about the difference between mentor, coach, and consultant. Can you talk about what those identifiers are? Um, sure. Yeah, with a consultant, it was actually really interesting. So I was working with your e cafe kids yesterday. And I was talking to um, Patty Mayberry, who was who was their facilitator, and she told me the only role that I have to play with these kids is to make sure that they don't cut their hands off, <laughs> you know. And you know, and if they ask me a question about something, then I'll I'll be there at, almost as a facilitator to help them work through. Uh, through their their problems and to me I really see that as a coach right you're not giving them the answers you're letting you're you're maybe giving them a couple more questions to work through giving them the tools that they need but it's really having them look within for the answers and build that program themselves and when I sat down at the table she said Y'all know that I don't answer any of your questions. I brought in somebody who will answer your questions. We're committed to bringing these outside experts to serve as consultants to the student groups to really help them work through things. 
So they were point blank asking me, how should we do this? And I, and I was like, well, in my opinion, here's what you should do. So for me, I was seeing myself as a consultant. They were bringing me out and bringing me into the school to present an opinion that was different from their own or, you know, showing a different perspective. So I would say that's a consultant that will give you answers a coach, to me, when I think of executive coaching, it's not somebody who's telling you what to do. It's helping you with the questions so that you can find your own answers. A mentor, to me, is somebody who's done it before, right? Like, we have so many heads of school who mentor each other because they've been in those situations and they can walk someone through, well, this is how I did it when I was in this similar situation. That might not work for you, but here's the insight that I pulled that might be applicable to your situation. So that's how I really differentiate those those three. And again, Vince, if you're listening, I'm going to send this to you afterwards. So, you know, we were in deep conversation about that when I was starting my business about who am I? Am I a consultant or am I a coach or a mentor? And I was like, I want to be all three. Like, I don't, I don't want to be just the person who comes in and tells people what to do. Like, one of the things I love working about with All Saints is I get to come in and, you know, I get to coach people on how to use data. And so, you know, I don't have to always be the expert. You know, I can help people find the answers. But then also, you know, to me, there's a mentorship relationship that we have of how do we each do what we're doing better. So, you know, share the love. There's some consultancy, too, though. So Yeah, Yeah. no, of course. There's definitely some of that down the road, I know. It's really interesting to me, too, because I I love everything you're saying there. I think it's fascinating, though, to also you got to have that self-realization of what you need in that moment, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. if you if you really need a coach and you need a consultant, it might actually be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And so to really understand those differences, know where you are in the situation that you're facing and what you really need to get out of it. And that's something yeah. I'm thinking about right now. Because I think I probably have gone for the wrong person a few times in my life and I was needing one thing and I asked for the other or just got the other. Yeah. That's, that's yeah so it's knowing on the front end. Yeah. Right. Being self-aware enough. Yes. I had a, had a great mentor who, he was a, we coached baseball together and we showed up in, in this, at this field in the middle of nowhere. And, and I looked at him and I said, wow, that's, I mean, you found this field. It's pretty smart. And he said, no, I'm not smart. I've just been here before. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if that's what you need, if exactly. what you need yeah. is the person that's been there before, right. then you got to seek that person out knowing right. that that's what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, really yeah. Cool. And that's one of the things that I loved about walking around your school today is you know, we always talk about that, you know, that switch from the sage on the stage to, you know, what is the guide on the side? And to me, that's switching from a teaching as consultant model to a teaching as coaching model. Yes. And so that's a really interesting switch. And I saw it when we were walking around your school today. But I think, too, I think schools. So I've been doing this for a long time. And I think when we created that uh, that dynamic, it was very much the sage on the stage is bad right. and the guide on the side is, is yes. good. And I like, I think there, there's some great right. sages mm-hmm. on the stage that's out right. there. And yeah. I think you have to create this. We have to create this paradigm that says it's, it's both. And mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is that there are, there's a time and place for, yes. And so how do we, how do we coach up, you know, teachers to feel comfortable in yeah. either or, you know? I was going to add to that, though. You know, the, the thing that I'm asked a lot about, how have we created so much change? And I think that's one of the, the the urgent moments that you get faced in, though, that if you were to come in and say, for that example, that having a sage on the stage is, is it's good, but not always, um, but we really want some guys on the sides, then if you have a bunch of sage on the stage, they all say, 
well, I'm going to stay here then because I, I, I can. And he just validated that that's okay. And I think it's unfortunately the pendulum swing that we have to find ourselves in because I have had a lot of teachers, um, I think, uh, wrongfully suggest that I didn't think a good lecture was good. I'm like, oh, no, I absolutely think it's great. <laughs> um, but you already know how to do that. <laughs> so I want you to stretch your legs a little bit and do something else. But, man, if that day a lecture is the best format, then do it. But you got to stretch your legs in other ways. But I think when you're creating change, I think that's sometimes what draws us back is we have to almost draw those unfair lines to say, no, I need you to get out of this box for right now. Because otherwise, if you say, yeah, this is still very valuable, then everybody's like, well, I'll stay here. Why don't you all go outside the box right now? I'll stay here. You got to expand your toolkit. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 And I think that you know that's a nice transition into kind of the next question. You know, because I do think one of the things that to me has been impactful in the last two years, as Nathan alluded to, is that that everybody has had to you know expand their toolkit, yeah. whether you wanted to or not. And so as I look across the campus and other campuses, I just see so many examples of expanded toolkits, and I'm really interested on it once we get out of this are we going to keep that toolkit or are we going to put those new tools in the back of our toolkit and go back to what we were really um using before and so that's just one of the impacts that that i've been following but i'm curious you know obviously you guys are passionate about stuff but but where are you guys seeing impact and in your school or other schools in anywhere, you know, it doesn't have to be pandemic related, but where are you guys seeing the most impact or the most, um, are you most interested in impact uh, around your campuses or campuses that you've been on? This is Kyle. I think the best thing, because I had some teachers that were a little sit and get, but they had to during COVID. Um, come up with better ways to do it and in the upper school even if we didn't have COVID kids are missing all the time and so it's allowed them to be more comfortable of how to do that and how to help out the students I've seen that is a there's a plus with COVID that's it um, there was a book that came out in um, 2020 by Ken Bain guy who wrote um, what the best college professors do and what the best college students do but it was a new 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 book and he kind of calls it his last book called super courses um, highly recommend it but he starts to paint this picture of and I'll just use one of the vignettes that come to mind quickly for me it's a professor at the University of Virginia who teaches Russian literature through this inmate writing and mentoring program um, so this notion of um, where you can take the content or take the, the expertise or even the interest and the skills that a student has, a human being has, quite frankly, and let them mine that to figure out how they are going to make sense of some material, um, take some ownership of it, pass it on, work with it. And so I think that model of super courses that Ken Bain Research has talked about um, is what we try to model at, at in the Ready Lab where we've taken... Um, RPBL, so not project-based learning, but passion-based learning, and um, we blend the different courses that students need to take in order to stay on track for graduation um, with what they've already done and what they want to do more of, what they want to do less of, um, and really sort of blend it into a, their own self-directed, self-created um, super course. That's awesome. I guess what I'm what I'm seeing, Jason, is. Um, and I think this gets back to the conversation about coaching, too, is, is um, the importance and the primacy of relationships, right? Especially 
the teacher student relationship and and what I saw our teachers doing so well in in the artificial medium of Zoom right was focusing on that relationship even though it's remote right and I think like <laughs> that that word remote is I mean the the negative connotations of that of that word you know, I think I think five years ago when we were talking about you know strategic initiatives, I think most of us would have said, oh, you know, we need to do some remote learning. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that should yeah, change yeah, yeah. now <laughs> because of this idea of relationships. I Mikhail, mean, you talked about your relationship with your husband and and the and you know sort of how do you how do you invest in that? And so to me, that's the coming out of this. Like, how do we how do we use the experience of the last two years to really figure out how do we how do we reinvest in those relationships for us who are in leadership, you know, with the people that, that work with us, but then, you know, kiddos, I mean, we, you talk, Nathan talked about the mental health crisis that we're in. We're, we're going to have different, we have different children, different challenges, and it's going to demand different relationship mm-hmm. skills from us. So that's very interesting to me. Yeah. I, I just, I, I want to jump on that a little bit that I feel like right now though, our kids, um, they, they value school more than they did before. I mean, we see a lot more kids that actually are so thrilled that they can be on campus and be engaging that there's kind of a reset for them. But also our kids, I think, take life seriously a little bit more, if you will, and not in a really negative way, even though there's a lot of those sides to it that's happening right now, too. But our kids want to be difference makers. We, that's our eighth grade challenge. And I watched this year with this group of eighth graders that they really take that on more than I've seen over the last three or four years before, but they, they really do. They, they see the world as a place that they want to make better. And so I, that's, that's my big hope that we will see our students actually, first of all, hopefully be a little more resilient, but hopefully be ones who aren't going to sit back and take time for granted and then also hopefully want to be difference makers and, and do something with that. And to pick up on that, I think kids are pretty, pretty disappointed in teachers and education because they stepped up, they were resilient, they worked hard but we just put the same old stuff online and then we went back to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a moment of reckoning for us mm-hmm. where I think we really have to listen to the kids and, and like, what did you learn and, and how can we come together and do this differently? Well, that's actually, Tom, that's exactly what I think is. The things that I see that are most impactful are those moments of real authentic agency. It's when, you know, I mean, you guys have heard me talk for the last day about creating value, and that's what we talk about in my course, but how do you create value? Well, before you can create value, you better know what type of value you need to create, you know, what you know, what problems need to be solved. And, you know, for, for us as teachers to prescribe that to students and say, well, here's the things you need to learn so you can go out and create value, well, that, that's not authentic in the moment. You know, they've got problems that they're facing every day. They've got things that are on their mind that they think about and that they're, they can get them excited. So, we, so when I see when I see students, and we you know we have examples of this on our campus, where where they identify something that they want to change, and and then they're given the freedom to go do it. You know, those are the moments where I go, oh wow, now this is this is what what we need to be doing. And it can be something profound and, and something that's really investing in the community. It can be something that's 
more fun and more just building community within the school. Uh, you know, one thing that came out that when we finally got on campus again last year, we had a group that said, you know, look, we, we can't have, nobody can go to basketball games. Nobody can go to sporting events. Like, we're going to create the Fury Broadcast Network because that's our mascot, the Furies. So they created a, a, a new digital platform and they, they had a broadcast team. They broadcast all the games and then they started doing social media to promote. And, and it's carried through. Now they do content to promote the games. They're, they've got highlight tapes and all these things. And, and you can see how fun it is for them. You also see they're learning some really <laughs> cool skills. Yeah. So, you know, that, that are very transferable. They're also finding passions where they're, you know, they're looking into programs for, you know, for what might be a career. And it's, uh, you know, that's all because they were given the agency and they, were, they had the idea and we said, go, do it. Yeah, I think that building off that and echoing back to Mark's is, is if we give authentic opportunities and build relationships where we can recognize those opportunities, right? Because I can build authentic opportunities, but if when that kid expressed an interest in that piece, I didn't have that relationship to, to encourage them and, and empower them to do it, it might have died on the vine, right? And, and those when those two things mix, those authentic opportunities where they have the agency because of the relationship that you've created, that's when the magic happens to me. And, and putting those together, it, you have to have both for, for real change, meaningful change to happen. Well, I, one of my favorite authors, and Mike and I have been able to see Bernie Brown in action, right? Yay, Brene Brown. Yeah. So <laughs> she, fan. So she would say... Wait, who's Brene Brown? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was border, borderline heresy right there, Tom. Come in on. Texas. Yeah. In Texas. Yeah. So, you know, what she says about authenticity is that it's rooted in vulnerability, and that vulnerability is the seed of creativity, right? And so what you're talking about, Jason, is, you know, that I don't think you have that authentic relationship without... And this is hard for us as adults, right? And this gets back to what you were saying, Tom, about about letting kids down, right? I think when we let kids down, it's because we're not willing to be vulnerable mm-hmm. as adults mm-hmm. and, and not realize that that's where creativity comes from, right? And so I think, like, you know, and this is hard for me to say and hard for, you know, me to hear, but I think we emerge from this. If, if we don't emerge from the last two years pretty vulnerable and, and willing to listen, uh, and listen to kids, right? Then I think I think we're going to be in trouble. You know. I got a question. So we were talking earlier today about um, professional development days. How we do how every school has done some version of the internal professional development, where teachers teaching teachers and, and different teachers come up with their. You guys ever done any? Um, student-led professional development for teachers mm-hmm. how 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 has that been structured like? we have y'all let you talk about it. i mean we did some uh I, my initial thing it's back to learn 21 which we launched at oak ridge and and some of the elements of that where teachers weren't comfortable with some technology that we're talking golly we're at like a dozen years ago yeah. or something crazy like that and and having students walk in and just say here, let me show you how to use X program, and, and here are the things that you really need to know. And 
the teachers then, A, they learn something, but B, what they learned is that I can assign something in my class that I don't, they're going to know how to do it. I just have to build the framework. And it was a really interesting piece um, that, that really opened my eyes to just letting students take the lead in professional development offers all kinds of other ancillary benefits. Yeah, I was going to add that we've, we've done that in the areas, y'all heard stories about our VR and how the VR students actually not only teach our faculty, but then they are their mentors to them. Yeah. And that's a really cool flip when many of our students don't have that experience, but they certainly never mentored an adult, but they are doing that. But also in our fab lab, we have days where not only our teachers, but parents can come in, because uh, we always joke that we don't want your kids to get so far ahead of you parents that you can't keep sight of them. Yeah. So come in and learn how to use the tools your kids want, and we have the kids teach. But it is, it is fascinating to watch, though, um, one, how I think a lot of adults still, no matter what the situation is, they kind of kind of wink at that kid for a minute, like, okay, let's let's do this. You're going to teach me. Okay, let's have some fun. And then really quickly, like, I better get my pen out because they're, <laughs> they're, they're teaching some things. They're, they really know some things I don't know. And it is fun to watch students when they are a mentor and they don't expect to be ever put in that role. And I think we need to do it more. That's, that's powerful. Well, guys, I know that we always... Uh, think that oh how in the world are we going to fill 40 minutes you know we are already at 40 minutes so i'm going to i'm going to wrap this up with with our ending question so and um, we're not going to put everybody on the spot and make everybody do it but does anybody have kind of a moonshot idea uh, that's really kind of been rattling around in your head for for a while now about education or life or anything like along those lines well i, I would say so the first word in, in our mission statement is family and I, and I think, um, I've thought this before the pandemic, but certainly coming out of the pandemic, I think schools like, like the school that I lead, has, we have a real opportunity to be in the education and support of families, right? And, and so, so your question, Nathan, about like how do kids lead professional development for teachers, like I, I wonder how we can bring families together uh, and how we can facilitate better listening from adults and children, so I, I think our next five years is going to be about how, how do we how do we define or even measure successful families? How can we be in the business of um, trying to trying to help that facilitate that? Because we we have three year olds through thirteen year olds in our school. Uh, families that are at our school will be there longer. I mean, sure, surely at All Saints it's the same. They'll be with our institution longer than they are with any other institution. They come in. With their their first child, who's three years old, they might be 25. They'll have three kids, and they'll leave in their 40s, and they've grown as a family. And so, what's our obligation, responsibility, opportunity to educate and support families? That's something I I think I think I know we're going to be really looking at. Very cool. I've got one. Um, you know, as someone who likes to jump in an RV and disappear for a couple months at a time. I would love for us to think about how we can disrupt the idea of a teacher and that you have to be on campus five days a week from, you know, 7.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon and how many people um, who have gone through these last two years and who just need a break and who just need to do something else in their life but still love education, still want to have that connection to the school, how do we just get a little bit more space and allow people to continue the relationships with kids, continue relationships 
with with schools while still being able to expand other areas of their life. Well, after this podcast, let's talk about some, uh, you know, some adjunct professorships here. At <laughs> yeah, let's get at least one stretch trip. Can we yeah. yeah. Can, but okay, can sorry. we build? Can we build a dashboard? In 2005, I did a six-week te- teacher exchange in um, Shanghai, China, and I was blown away um, by the respect that is just so deep in the culture for the teacher. Um, and that's, you know, 5,000 plus years of Confucianism that, you know, I think helps to create that in the Communist Party, but um, mostly <laughs> Confucius. Um, and so my moonshot is how do you create that in our culture? Um, so building off a little bit of, of, of how you're doing it, but I think there's a way to, you know, Asia has Confucianism. What does the U.S. need to elevate the role of the teacher? Well, my, my moonshot is how to run an authentic business experience through a school. And the reason I say that is I teach an entrepreneurship class, and teaching entrepreneurship is the ultimate oxymoron. It's, uh, it can't be done. You, there's, you know, it's it, as much as you want to create these authentic experiences and give agency and everything. There's no way to recreate the actual experience. So how can you create a truly immersive opportunity for a student to feel like they are in it and and that they're truly, you know, running a business? And then the curriculum is going to be informed by what they're doing. And it can touch all things. And you look for the opportunities within that, you know, and, it, and I mean, I've dreamt about this lots, but, you know, if, if they're in it for a year, how do you make sure you're touching core curriculum within that? I mean, you know, if, if you're talking about point of differentiation, okay, how do you make them understand, you know, you can read Shakespeare and understand that families that are alike are going to kill each other. Well, guess what? If you're just going to compete against another business exactly like yours, you're, you know, that's mutually assured destruction. So you can get into social studies there too. And if you're doing manufacturing, you can get into engineering and physics. If you're, you know, you, know, you can get into the chemistry of the materials you're using. You can deep dive into every single thing, but what I learned in business is that the necessity of learning creates an urgency to, to figure things out in a way that you can't replicate in a classroom. And now, you're not gonna cover everything, but you're going to discover it and uncover more. And that's, so that's why I'm, that's my moonshot. That's what I, you know, that's what I get excited about. Well, this has been an awesome time getting to sit in and and do an actual uh, sandbox chat in a sandbox in person. So I want to thank everybody for for taking the time to do this and, and uh, we got a lot of work to do on these moonshots. So, so. Well, so, so I'm glad you said that, though, Jason, because uh, for any of our other sandboxes who are listening, we will be coming together in June in North Carolina, and we'll be headed to Forsyth Country Day School for yes, a sand flea event. So all of our sandboxers are welcome, and if you are not a sandboxer and would like to be, reach out to us. We love having people join in in this community. So thank you all for joining us today. And uh, with that, Jason's going to take us out with a really great uh, rendition of our song. What